Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. While people are settling in, one announcement that I uh, also want to make tomorrow, uh, Friday, from 12 to 1, um, I imagine this is Daniel Doan, um, there has been a, um, a vigil for peace on uh, Friday every Friday at the UC Berkeley Westgate, Oxford and Addison, for the last 11 years, 11 years since um, a few days before the bombing of Afghanistan. Every Friday from 12 to 1, um, there's a, a vigil for peace, just sitting there and... Uh, practicing silently and they have some discussion I guess towards the end but uh, this Friday is the 11th anniversary and here's a, um, a flyer on that that you're, if you feel like joining them uh, please do UC Berkeley Westgate Oxford and Addison <clears throat> there are flyers in the back okay So as I um, said a little while ago, um, the title of this talk is No Credit, No Blame. And it's a continuation of the last two weeks. We're first talking about praise and blame. For those who weren't here, the two of the eight vicissitudes of life that are spoken of in these teachings, praise, blame, loss, gain, fame, shame, pleasure, pain. And going back and forth between those is a, um, a central reality and dilemma often in this life, in being a human, wanting one, trying to avoid the other, whatever the pair is. Particularly when we spoke about praise and blame, um, two weeks ago, talking about how there was some uh, criticism uh, that somebody uh, had and expressed towards me, I thought, okay, that's interesting. Hmm, how do I just let it in or let it move through? The week, last week, there was some very lovely praise that came towards me. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, just let it through. And talking about how um, the more we can abide in the understanding of emptiness, 
the less we are moved by either of those. When I uh, gave the talk about calling it No Place to Land, which I, I, didn't, I almost forgot to um, share why I called it No Place to Land until the very end, and I realized, oh yeah, I better make that clear, that No Place to Land is, uh, was a teaching that um, one of my teachers, H.W.L. Uh, Punja, gave me, um, Punjaji, from uh, uh, Lucknow, India, an Advaita teacher who said, in no, he would say, no place to land, no place to land, no view, no concept, no sense of who you are, no idea of how it is and what life is about. And the more you can just um, not be caught in concept, no abiding anywhere, then that's where freedom is. <clears throat> the freedom that comes from no abiding, no landing anywhere. How to do that, though? It sounds very good. You know, oh, okay, I'll just let go of all my concepts. Yeah, tell me if, that, if you can do that, and uh, I'd like to really learn from you. The concepts come and they go. Having a mind, you're going to have thoughts and concepts and ideas and conditioning and habits that are uh, either habits of contraction and that can be painful and suffering and uh, rooted in grasping or aversion or confusion or habits of sweet delight and connecting with the love inside or connecting with the caring and compassion. They're all part of life. And some fantastically beautiful things come through us. They do from time to time. I hope you've noticed. But there's such a... um, strong tendency to look as something comes through or to kind of give a little editorial comment as it's come through of, ooh, look at that. What an awful person I am. Or, hey, look at that. What a wonderful guy I am. I hope everybody sees <clears throat> Has that ever thought ever gone through your your mind? You know, an act of generosity as it moves through you so deliciously, just a genuine random act of kindness. Ninety nine percent as it comes through, or maybe even a hundred percent, but just right after. Sometimes, not always. There's pretty neat. I'm a good guy. Yeah. 
there's, it's not that that's bad. Actually, there's something to be celebrated by that. It's just when we identify with that and take credit for that thought as it's gone through that we are setting ourselves up for the blame when other, the other side of the equation comes through. And as I've shared here and in the, the Awakening Joy Course, it's, it's really a, a, um, a principle of the, of the Joy Course. The Buddha suggested actually to notice when something beautiful comes through you. And in this one discourse that really affected me as far as awakening joy for me, he says, while you're in the middle of a generous act, say to yourself, oh, I'm being generous now. He says, that's a very good thing, but it depends how you say that. Like, oh, I'm being generous now. How good that feels for generosity to move through me is very different than, hey, I'm being generous now. And it's just, just the, the, the hair's breadth of ownership, credit, look at me, presentation, Again, it's very human, but to recognize that it actually takes away from the joy. It's this paradox that the more you want to be recognized for your goodness, the more it, uh, you diminish it. You know? Or the more we want to impress the less impressive we are. Ever see that? Somebody who is trying to be impressive, not very impressive. But somebody who's not trying to be impressive and is simply just going about being who they are, expressing their noble qualities, beautiful qualities in a, in a very uh, unpretentious way. That is unpretentious, one of the, the highest qualities. You know, don't you love it when you see somebody who's unpretentious? Then that's impressive. It's, it's this amazing paradox. Mm. So how... How does it work? How can you really practice seeing through this identification with self, with this mind-body process called you, to enjoy the freedom, the relief of not taking ownership for either all the beautiful, sweet, lovely stuff that comes through so it can be completely celebrated and rejoiced without feeling like, oh, I'm flaunting it or without feeling like, oh, I hope everybody sees it. But just letting it move through you in a, in a delicious, joyful way. And how to be with all the conditioned thoughts that 
propel us to act in unskillful ways or think nasty thoughts or say dumb things without getting into what a jerk I am, but to hold it in a different way where you see, oh, this is just habits acting through me. And the more, the paradox is the more we can see them without judging them, the more we are um, inclining the mind to wake up right in the middle of them. But in the very act of judging them, what a jerk. There's no learning there. There's just more solidification of self. And you've added the second dart as the, as the teachings go. The first dart, oh gosh, that was not so skillful. The second dart is, I'm such a jerk for acting like that. There's no waking up from that because then the perfect way to punish yourself is to keep on thinking about what a jerk you are or go ahead and confirm it by doing something else that's less than skillful. So how to navigate through that into, a, into an understanding that's free of that ownership, what's called the identification with experience. Most of you are familiar with that, that term, in case you're not. It simply means identifying, that is, taking whatever thought or word or action or whatever comes through this form as being who I am. Look who I am, don't look who, who I am. So, first, the meditation does point to this, um, Directly, because as you're, first of all, sitting here and you notice the show, you're seeing that it's happening completely on its own. That you're not controlling what is coming through your body at any time. You know, there's vibrations and there's itches and there's pulsings and there's all the systems, circulatory, nervous, muscular, all the systems just doing their thing completely on their own. And to take ownership of them is kind of setting yourself up to think, oh, I should be able to control this process called this body. To some extent, if you go to the the gym and you work out, you can have an effect on the muscles you have, or if you eat the right food, you know, to some extent you can create the conditions for optimal functioning. But when it comes down to it, you don't really have control over your body. If you did, you'd probably say, okay, don't get sick. 
don't get old, don't die. But you don't. And it can be both mm, disheartening for some, oh gosh, I wish I could control my body, or very freeing to see it's not up to you to figure out how to make it do just you want what you want to do. On one retreat many years ago, I uh, this is in a Insight Meditation Society in uh, the center in Massachusetts. Um, I had this thought. This was my big koan. This is not, by the way, what I was what I'm leading up to this this other insight I had. But this is a, a, a minor, more mundane, but very profound insight for me, where I thought, okay, this body is gurgling and burping and farting and sneezing and coughing and doing what it does as I'm sitting here and there's other bodies doing what they do. And the thought occurred to me, hmm, what would a Zen master do if he or she was sitting near the entranceway of the zendo and felt a big fart coming on. That was my koan. Yeah. <laughs> it was a great koan. It's just kind of, I remember it like 30 years later, right? Okay, does a Zen master get embarrassed and, and feel, oh my goodness, here's, here's a fart coming on. Do they run for the, for the door and just kind of like, you know, either out of compassion or, or uh, embarrassment and kind of, <clears throat> okay, uh, yes, now I can come back and be a Zen master. You know. Do they let it just come through? I came up with, came up with the, you know, the answer. If you really see, it's just your body doing your thing, doing its thing, you don't have to blame yourself for it. Okay, here's this coming through this form. <clears throat> it's tremendously freeing. You don't know how many, well, you might have an inkling how many people get so perturbed over swallowing on retreats. People, can, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, you know, People come in and they're sure they are disturbing the whole meditation hall, the cacophony of the swallow as they go, as they, they feel it coming on. And the tricky thing is, of course, if you're on the lookout or afraid that you're going to swallow, what happens? Your body tightens up and you do nothing but swallow. You know, there you are. You know, Oh, I hope a swallow doesn't come. You know, oh my God, I know it's going to come again. You know, there it is. Life is tricky like that, isn't it? So just seeing your body following its own laws is tremendously freeing. Seeing your mind 
just subject to the conditioning that it's been practiced for years and years and years. Tremendously freeing. Well, I'll share with you now the insight that really um, had had a very deep effect on me, and then I'll share these other thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I want to preface this by, by saying... When you have a retreat, when you, when you sit a retreat, if you've touched something really precious to you, don't go around, I would suggest, not going around sharing it with everyone. Uh, because it's, it, it is kind of, it's a, it's a jewel and, a, and, a, and something that's touched you deeply. Um, but um, you know, this is something that happened a long time ago, and it still has had its profound effects. And I offer it because I have a chance to just share in my uh, from this seat something that I hope would be useful. So I was sitting uh, this is many years ago on a longer retreat, um, and I was just. In a um, in a really in a delicious space in practice, I was kind of on. I wouldn't quite say cruise control, but it was more like it was happening on its own. Sometimes the practice is happening on its own, and I was sitting for uh, for good chunk of time at a time, hours at a time. I'd never sat for you know hours at a time with I wasn't trying to don't try to sit for long hours at a time you'll just it'll just be a big ego trip but I I was kind of as surprised as you know as as anyone that oh wow here I am just sitting and it's pretty clear it's uh, spacious it's light it's energetic and uh, it, was, it was great. It was w- wonderful. And after a number of hours, somebody came into the, um, the meditation hall whose practice I really respected. Very diligent yogi, at least I, am, I thought of the little that I saw. She seemed to be diligent me. And I, I would have my eyes open just to kind of ground myself as I was sitting for, you know, these, these kind of longer sits. And she was sitting just off to the side of me. And inside of about 10 or 15 minutes, there she was with a classic case of the nods. This is the nods. Like this, all the way down and all the way up, all the way down and all the way up. And this is a yogi who I I really respected. And the thought occurred to me, I don't know how I got here, but I know that one very well. I have spent probably weeks, if you put it together, or at least days in nods if you put all the hours together I know what that's like 
And then the thought occurred to me, that the next day, that could easily be me. And I don't know what was going on right now, but who is to argue? I was enjoying it. But realizing how much of the time I've spent that way and could easily it tomorrow, the, the idea of taking credit for where I happened to just be finding myself was completely absurd. It was, it was completely missing the point, the truth of what was happening. And in that moment, what happened was, instead of it being me having this clear sitting and this woman having her nods, the whole room kind of um, reconfigured so that it wasn't James or Laura or these people here. It was just um, fields of energy. And right now, this energy field was clear and um, bright and energetic. That one was sleepy. This one over here might be full of love. This one over here might be full of worry. This one over here might be uh, full of uh, equanimity and balance. This one over here might be in rage. And it was just these energies expressing itself through these forms. It's like the whole room kind of spun around and that they could be interchangeable at any time. It was just kind of a, a unique configuration in that moment. And that was, it was a, a kind of seeing things in a, in a new way where taking credit for whatever grace I had fallen into um, was really missing the point. And then it occurred to me that in the same way, taking blame, blaming myself for when I had the nods or when I was in confusion or when I had fear, or when there was worry, was also completely missing the point. Do you say, I could go for some worry right now? You know? It just happens, right? Certain causes, certain conditions, certain habit patterns, you know? Gee, I could go for some self-doubt. That's what I need, you know. It's just happening all on its own. And in that realization, when we're not identifying with our experience, it's this tremendous relief that you don't have to do anything to make yourself better or 
show yourself off. It's simply life just expressing itself through this form. And that trying to be anything more than you are is an extra effort that takes away from the natural expression of of who you really are. Who we are, you know, when we can be just really at home and comfortable with who we are. You ever, you ever uh, hang out with somebody who's just comfortable being themselves and not trying to, imp- to prove or improve? It's very uh, relaxing because then it lets you be who you are. We're that way often around our good friends. And that's one reason why they're our good friends, because we're not trying to be better so that they'll like us. There's enough kind of trust between us that we somehow intuit that they enjoy us with our foibles, with our confusions, just the way we are. Isn't that fantastic that we can be that real around people, around certain people? We want to be around those people, don't we? Because we don't have to be anything more than who we are. And it's a little bit different when you meet somebody and you hope that you'll be that they'll be your friend and maybe just be a little bit more than who you are this is real freedom and i'm reminded of um suzuki roshi's uh book zen mind beginner's mind a fantastic dharma book the beginning of of the book, the introduction to the book, where one of his students is talking about all the amazing qualities of of the Roshi, of Suzuki Roshi, and she says, uh, "You know, the the Roshi has this great clarity and wisdom and heartfulness and." peace and um, depth, all of the uncanny perspicacity, remember that, that phrase, all of these things that, that, the, that the Roshi has. But she says, in the end, it's not all of those amazing, impressive qualities that are so extraordinary. But it's that the Roshi in his utter ordinariness, in his complete ordinariness, is a mirror for us where without being anything more than who he is, just being present, being a loving presence, reveals to us our loving presence our authenticity just by being utterly ordinary. That's impressive. 
So, no credit, no blame. What comes through us, wisdom, love, fear, confusion, all of those are in Buddhist psychology called mental factors, which one does not take ownership of. There's one mental factor, by the way. Um, there, there are some wholesome mental factors and that, that cause happiness and unwholesome mental factors that cause suffering, some, and some that are neither wholesome or unwholesome. There's 52 mental factors. It's kind of like the deck you're, you're dealt, you know. <clears throat> There's one mental factor that is the root of the problem, and that is called the factor of wrong view. That's the name of the factor, wrong view, which is this capacity of mind to take ownership of our experience. This is me. This is mine. This is I. And it's a misperception that is at the root of all the confusion and the suffering. But to see these as simply mental factors that are just coming through No problem, as uh, Anam Tupton Rinpoche says in his book, no self, no problem. And that's also, though, to see that these different qualities and the way they get expressed uniquely through you is something also to acknowledge you have a particular configuration, a particular personality that comes out as Ricardo, or Andrew, or Ghidra, or James. And it's something also to mm, acknowledge, appreciate, celebrate its uniqueness, So in some ways, it's yours and it's not yours. And the gifts that you have been given are yours and not yours. The creativity. Some people are born or have been given a dose of real creativity. Some people have a beautiful singing voice. Some have... Um, pleasant looks. Some are great cooks. Some are funny. Some are deep and pensive and thoughtful. Some are um, at ease. Some have a a more um, energetic temperament. Everybody comes in with their own unique configuration. And there's never been another one that's just like you. Isn't that amazing? And to really, to not say, oh, well, that's not me. To really see, oh, this is me. 
on the one hand, but it's not mine. This is how life is expressing itself through me. And so to really uh, celebrate particularly all the beautiful things that come through you, which come through actually naturally when the mind isn't contracted, your unconditional love. Like I said last week, do you, do you say, my unconditional love is better than your unconditional love? You know, that doesn't make any sense. It's just love coming through, but it comes through in a very unique way just through you. It has always amazed me how many different beautiful ways there are to be in this world. Seven billion unique, beautiful flavors of humanness. And to celebrate those gifts without taking ownership of them, that's, that's the dance. You know, giving, giving a Dharma talk, for instance, as one example. You know, you can, uh, if I get in the way, if I'm trying to impress, or if I'm saying, gosh, I hope this is coming out okay, that thought has come through my mind from time to time, I want you to know. It's not happening right now, I'm just kind of like, okay, on autopilot. Um, But when that thought comes through, it's really deadly, painful. But when something else is coming through, it's like, you know, I'm just kind of not as much in the way. And we all have our own experience of that. When you're singing, or when you're dancing, or when you're creating, or, you know, when you're loving, when you're, you know, some people have a, a knack for hitting a baseball, you know, and they are heroes, you know. Buster Posey, yeah, you know. Some people can put a basketball through a hoop and they become millionaires and, you know, idols, you know. And it's, it's fun. I'm a big basketball fan, you know. But to see, okay, what a sweet, what a lovely gift that's been perfected because there's something also about perfecting what you've been offered. But to see that they're just gifts that you've been given, whatever qualities that you have, and to celebrate them and really honor them and develop them as best you can because it just feels good to share the gifts that you've been given if you can do it and, and make a contribution. So there's this this paradox between both celebrating and not taking credit or um, holding with compassion but not blaming ourselves. This is a a passage perhaps some of you are familiar with. It's, uh, uh, it's been quoted many times. I love this passage. It's, it's in, it's in uh, Awakening Joy by Martha Graham, the, the great um, choreographer to Agnes DeMille, saying, there is a vitality, a life force, an energy a quickening that is translated through you into action. 
And because there's only one of you in all time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and it will be lost. The world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good it is, nor how valuable, nor how it compares to other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly and to keep the channel open. I love that, to keep the channel open. That is, to get out of the way of selfing so that all of those gifts are shared in a, in a pure, unobstructed way. And when you have that attitude, when you have that perspective of not taking credit, but at the same time rejoicing and celebrating, the only response that makes any sense, at least to me, is gratitude. It's like, wow, how... How blessed to be able to sing or be able to move this body in a graceful way or to have a caring heart or to uh, be um, creative and, uh, or a good problem solver. How blessed, how grateful And then with that, no credit, no blame, but celebration, then you allow life to move through you. And when you allow it to move through you without obstructing with the contraction of self, something really interesting happens. You are plugged into an energy, a power, that is greater than you. This is real power. And uh, you know the, the expression, oh, that person has a lot of personal power. It's really not personal power. I, there, there can be somebody who is a force and is mm, not seeing through that sense of self, but is very powerful and knows they're powerful. That's one level of power. But the deeper power, the really impressive power, the power that lets you feel really comfortable around that energy is the power that comes through when they're not selfing, when they're simply allowing the life force to use them well. That's what I call impersonal personal power. That's very, you're plugged into something. And we all know it, those times when we're just kind of in rhythm with our life. And when we can have that kind of connection and we feel that power of life moving through us, for me the the response is one of uh, a combination of both humility and confidence. A humility that says, it's not mine. And there is a a gratitude and a grace 
but a confidence that lets life move through us and be able to do beautiful things because we have the wind at our sails. So let me just ask you, we can just reflect for a few moments and then uh, we can open up to a conversation. Just close your eyes for a moment and um, just ask yourself first, um, when do you take or when do you look for credit in your life? Perhaps a job well done that you want acknowledgement for. No judgment around this, but just notice when you're looking for that extra recognition or pride that says, look at me. Notice how that feels, if you can recall. And then you might reflect, when do you blame yourself for things that come through, for not being good enough, not measuring up to your standards, or hoping that people don't see your own foibles, weaknesses, and somehow self-judgment is evoked. Credit, blame. And now, just reflect or imagine or remember seeing through these these misperceptions. What if they were seen as simply perceptions in the mind that are not true? That life is just moving through you without credit, without blame. What does or what would that feel like to see things true as they really are without wrong view overlaying reality. If you can just get a sense of that, the spaciousness or the ease, just see if it's something that you might invite more and more. not only as a a gift to yourself, but a gift to everyone in your life. So we have a, a few minutes for 
discussion. If you can stay till the end, that would be uh, great. Um, any uh, any questions? Any comments? Anything that comes up from the topic? Hi. Um, Hi. Ooh, um, I um, um, I relate to, I guess, taking credit in, in the form of reverse pride. That's sort of my M.O. Say more. Huh? Say more. Reverse pride. Yeah. It's like I have this pride, but it's more about how, uh, I guess it's like blame, but for some reason I get pride out of all the blame that I put on myself. Ah, yeah. Like, I suck, and my life is hard. So for some reason I feel really great about that. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I think I mentioned um, it last, last, uh, last week or so. You know, when I went through college, it was like the, the more messed up you are, the deeper you are, you know. Yeah. I'm really deep because I'm just messed up, Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. and uh, I guess the feeling that I get when that happens to me, I mean, um, I definitely have recent experience of that, um, is that I usually feel like my body being really tight and um, stressed, and I feel really closed off. I'm not able to um, do anything. Um, mm-hmm. First, it starts off being like, I can't help or be available to anyone, mm-hmm. and then it becomes so intense that I can't help myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't get up and get up. Um, in the morning. Mm. So um, I've been really aware of this and um, practicing compassion for myself. Good. And um, just like, yeah, releasing the self from um, things I do, whether it is like paying bills or um, um, helping someone else complete something or um, showing up for someone else, like um, if I don't have that attachment to myself or the results, then um, I feel like um, I have a clearer, ch- like a more clear channel mm-hmm. and more energy. Mm-hmm. And um, um, yeah, um, so this, I guess that's it. I relate to that, and I'm I'm always grateful to kind of be reminded of that. And I feel like it takes practice to just detach myself from myself. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. And it does. It takes practice. It takes patience because the conditioning is strong. And as long as there's a commitment to keep facing in the direction of greater understanding. So every time you notice it, this is a a little practice game that I have. Every time... Instead of noticing and feeling lousy, you know, oh, look, there it is. If you notice it and are um, heartened by the noticing, it's an opportunity, oh, great, an opportunity to see that habit with compassion. As Pema Chodron has this line I've used many times, I love, she says, uh, take delight in that which sees the dukkha. Take delight, be glad that you're able to see the suffering that you're causing yourself. Because if you don't see it, first of all, you're just bound to be 
completely at its mercy. And what is it that's seeing that? It's not in it. There's an awareness that's seeing it, saying, oh, look, dear, oh, look how you're giving yourself a hard time. And that is, if you keep on coming back to holding it with compassion, then you're retraining your heart and your mind to have a new relationship with that pattern. So I think you're on the right track. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Um, you had something, said something about being plugged into like that flow, mm-hmm. and um, it it's so impermanent, you know. And when I'm playing, you know, I get really frustrated um, when I'm plugged into that flow, mm-hmm. and I'm creating art, or I'm you know at a dance event, or you know I'm in the right place at the right time. It feels like, um, but then I go back to create the art, and I'm not plugged in. And, and it'll be really frustrating, you know, and it's like, but the thing is, is that what I've noticed that in my life, it comes back, Yeah. you know, through my experience and yeah. through my suffering and through whatever it is I'm going through in my life, Yeah. that when all of a sudden I plug back, plug back in Yeah. and I'm in that flow and it just starts happening the way it's supposed to be and like, I don't have to like do the movement, it's happening for me. Yeah. You That's know. it. And yeah. and the more you can just kind of trust that you don't have to make it happen, the less you're in the way, and then you're in rhythm with your life. That's the great paradox. The more you miss it and want it in that movement of contraction, there's no way that life can flow through you. So it's more not doing than trying. Kind of like letting go. It, it's all about letting go. It often comes down to that, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and, so, and that takes some trust, doesn't it? It's like, you know, can I really trust that if I don't try hard for, flow, for the flow of life to move through me, that it really will? Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's, it's not just an idea. It's kind of like, okay, every time that, you, that you, it comes back on its own, don't miss the fact that it happened just on its own. And it didn't come from you trying hard. Yeah. Stop trying, what is it? Stop trying. Uh, yeah, stop trying and thinking, and there's nothing you'll not be able to know. Yeah. Or the, uh, the Joni Mitchell song, the time I, the times I love you the most are the times you don't even try. You know that song. That's the the amazing paradox of life: to just trust enough to not try so hard, and no credit, no blame. That's the secret. Okay, let's uh, close with a loving kindness. Just as you sit here, just let life flow through you. Nothing you've got to do to make it happen. It's happening all on its own. Just relax. Feel yourself alive. And celebrate that, oh, there's life knowing itself. May this form be happy, 
appreciate all its goodness and share its love well. And then sharing it with others. May all beings find peace inside, relax into their own goodness and true nature. be free and may our coming here together uh, be of benefit to all beings everywhere may all beings find happiness and peace okay thank you for your attention Have a great week. Have a great two weeks. Philip Moffat coming here next week. See you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.